Welcome to Five Star Weekly. Lots of questions following the Felipe Cardenas article on the front office and Carlos Bocanegra. We also review and preview the matches from the week. All that and more coming up. Welcome to the show, Five Star Fam. I'm AJ and this is Mark. And wherever it is you get your pods, subscribe, share, and leave us a good rating. This segment is sponsored by Thinking Man Tavern, a cozy Decatur neighborhood pub. Grab a tasty beverage from a wide variety of selections and a plate of something delicious from the menu. To go, check out Thinking Man Tavern. So Atlanta United played Inter-Miami to a 1-1 draw on Sunday afternoon. And lo and behold, Joseph Martinez gets his first start in MLS and scores in the ninth minute. And uh, what a beautiful sight it was. He finally uh, gets on the score sheet in the 2021 season after about 440 days. And uh, yeah, wow, you know, it's a it's a long time coming. And he runs straight to head trainer Mario. And uh, it is uh, definitely a beautiful sight. It's just wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pulls at the heartstrings because, uh, yeah, you know, the trainers have been with him every step of the way. And uh, yeah. Super lovely that he acknowledges them. Uh, he said that they deserve it. The uh, yeah, they, they get the photos essentially, uh, the photo op with Joseph Martinez as well. But uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful sight. And uh, yeah, to talk about the goal, I mean, you know, the commentators were essentially talking about him and pretty much right on cue. He pretty much creates a goal out of nothing. I mean, he he gets found in the box. And, uh, you know, it's near the edge of the box-ish, but mm-hmm. on his left foot, Ryan Shawcross doesn't know what he's dealing with in Joseph Martinez, and he puts it away a plum with his left foot. And, uh, yeah, there ain't no stopping Joseph Martinez with, uh, you know, either foot when he is on song. And, uh, you know, this uh, this strike, he, he, yeah, ruthless. And that's what we need. That's that... Uh, that's that ability in front of goal that we've been missing yeah. all season, I feel like, as to, uh, yeah, if you find a striker in the box, they're going to put it away. And uh, that's at least what was happening early. But, yeah, <laughs> later on in the match, you know, uh, you, have, uh, you have some missed chances by our forwards, uh, one notably by Jake Mulraney that he doesn't look good in this one. That's... Uh, that is a very poor strike. You wanna you wanna kind of talk through that, uh, you know, that uh, that chance there where basically, yeah, I mean, uh, Jake Mulraney, he, he scuffs it. I mean, he, yeah. uh, you know, he probably should make a better connection, especially when he's that close and uh, has that good of a look. Yeah, <laughs> completely agree. Um... Uh, I'm, I'm sad I can't talk about Joseph's goal, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, talk about I mean, Joseph's like... goal too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll talk about Jake Mulraney. He like he's running onto it from the wing, right? And it comes onto a strong foot. And I feel like as a forward, that's the kind of chance you want, especially when you're like right in the frame of goal. I mean, it was it was around the penalty area, right? So maybe about 10 yards at you know it's just one of those things where as a fan you're out of your seat before it, the ball even gets to him because you're assuming that he's going to finish it but he didn't and as you said you know he scuffs it really badly i mean like 
I think the only way that shot could have been worse is if he like skied it, but uh, he ends up it ends up being a tame save for the goalkeeper, and it absolutely should not have been. So, and that would have made it two nil, you know. And uh, of course, uh, Atlanta would go on to rue that. But uh, but Joe's goal was beautiful, you know. It's just decisive two touches you know he he turns he knows what he what he wants to do you give him a little bit of room in the box and he's gonna shoot and that's exactly what he did and that's exactly what we've been missing uh so yeah two uh i guess contrasting moments from two of our forwards yeah and i, I had a feeling yeah we were gonna rue that chance for sure because uh yeah two nil Inter Miami, I, I don't know they didn't seem all that apt uh and able in that first half uh, right. It's another one of those tail two halves type deal, right. because that second half, uh, yeah, uh, even Gabriel Hainze kind of mentioned it as well. We looked lethargic. We looked like we had heavy legs yeah. uh, with the midweek match, and then you know you just have uh, kind of issues with depth as well, and you know right. not really rotating is kind of the the feature of. Uh, you know, some of our uh, Argentine managers, for sure, is to uh, not do that. And, uh, right. you know, also, you know, LGP knew exactly what he was dealing with with uh, Jose Martinez and uh, even put him on the ground sometimes. And uh, it was, yeah, you know, you saw <laughs> you saw the whole package of LGP, I think, uh, right. in this match. You know, you have the, uh, you know, beautifully spread balls across the pitch. You have yeah. really good defending. You have the shit housing. You have uh, you know imposing himself onto uh, the forwards of the opposing team and the obligatory yellow card. That, of course. Uh, and also not only obligatory yellow card, but uh, should he stay on the pitch? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess he should have. But still, there's some uh, some borderline calls that uh, yeah. You see why uh, now that maybe LGP is one of those guys that uh, the opposing fans really dislike. Yeah, I was just that's what I was just thinking. Actually, it's like, oh, we're on this side of it now. Now I see. Yes, sure. <laughs> yeah, like this. Uh, oh, yeah, this is not that fun actually to experience. And uh, <laughs> like, oh right. man, yeah, no, he, he, really, he'd be really great on our our team. But uh, man, man, is he annoying? Yeah. <laughs> but uh. Yeah, so, you know, we get to the, uh, yeah, the, in the second half, it's, you know, we're, we're dealing with it pretty decently, um, but then they bring on Federico Higuain, and uh, yeah, you know, two Higuains is definitely better than one Higuain, and yeah, they showed that uh, Higuain was fashioning a lot of chances, putting some uh, through balls, putting some just perfectly weighted balls. Uh, he's not the fastest guy, but he will... You know, perfectly weight a ball exactly where it's needed, and yeah. So, uh, you know, Lewis Morgan again. This dude, he uh, seems to score against us a lot, and it's yeah. uh, you know another thorn in our side. But 77th minute, a yeah, he gets a he gets a loose ball essentially from Alex DeJohn from a, a free kick when he comes in. A terrible free kick, by the way. I mean, like yeah. it was the the free kick was on the right sideline. And Dijon just plays this like aimless ball to the middle. Giveaways in the middle of the pitch are death. I mean, like it just you, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it, it's one of those things when you have Alex Dijon 
and Kubo Taurus come on. Uh, yeah, you're gonna lose something. You're gonna lose something there, and uh, it's uh, oh boy, yeah, you know. Uh, so Lewis, Lewis Morgan, yeah, he, uh, you know, he kind of just strolls right through a little bit, and it's a yeah. little bit annoying. Uh, beats Brad Guzan at the the near post. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another feature that we've been pretty susceptible in uh, kind of early days of this season is skipping balls from crosses across our box. We haven't dealt with them very well. Uh, we haven't dealt with guys who are very direct. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's uh, that's something, yeah, a lot of individual errors, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, just moments where heart and mouth goes, you're thinking, how... How do you miss that clearance? How do you... Right. It's, yeah, uh, it's something that we need to clean up, clean up fast. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, and it's, I think, something that we didn't mention yet was that it's pretty much an unchanged 11. And, uh, you know, with that lack of rotation. Uh, and then finally, yeah, when you do take off Joseph Martinez and then Kubo Torres comes on, it's, yeah, you know, you're missing Lissandra Lopez and we'll get to him later. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a massive drop off in some of the guys that come on, and uh, it's very difficult. And you see Inter Miami, who they bring on, and it's very different. You know, they have guys that make a difference. And right. Uh, yeah, right now we're just uh, we're we're reeling in the health department and the availability department. That uh, yeah, th- I think that definitely came into play in this match. Yeah, also, uh, Hanson mentioned the heat. Uh, that obviously didn't help. We had a you know, hydration break in the first and second half. I think the humidity made it, made it feel like 90. Uh, tough conditions for sure, especially for an unrotated side. Um, yeah, the lose Morgan goal, I mean, you know, it's very direct. He uh, Sosa and Bello look like they have it covered, but then the overlap, I think, it uh, just about does them in. Um, and then Sosa in that moment definitely looked a little bit heavy. Um, and he's played every minute, you know, so you can't really blame him. But yeah, it's just it, it, you felt you felt like the goal was coming. And honestly, uh, with the well, I guess we'll say one and a half penalty shouts that uh, Inter Miami yeah. had, <laughs> it really it, it very easily could have been two one. Um, Ewan had that chance uh, in the first half from uh, as you mentioned that that ball that skips across the penalty area. So you know, on the one hand, disappointed that we didn't uh, go up two nil and uh, didn't get all three points, but on the other hand, kind of lucky that uh, we got the points. So it's it's definitely mixed feelings coming from this match. Yeah, I mean, kind of lucky. Ooh, yeah, we we were absolutely lucky. I mean, the uh, <laughs> that second second half and especially the latter half. Uh, squeaky bomb time, absolutely, yes. and it was, yes. uh, yeah, not even, not even a question of, uh, yeah, we were holding on for dear life, and, um, you know, their penalty shouts, do you think, uh, I mean, Brad Guzan didn't think so, in terms of, uh, you know, his penalty shout there, when, uh, he seemingly did or did not take out his man, uh, do you think, yeah, he got the ball, and then, you know, the player, uh, ran into him, or was it the other way around? Yeah, it felt like the best from what I see from what I saw from it, it looked like he got the ball and then like I guess continued into the player. So um I guess it's just like a sort of bang bang play. Maybe one where uh there's not enough of a VAR to overturn. Uh but I'm I am 
borderline shocked that Miles was not called for a penalty on the handball. I mean, like, I know, I know it's a hard shot. I know the distance isn't very far, but his arms are flailing. You know, like it's this far away from his body. I, I think we were a little bit lucky on that call. Um, LGP had a penalty shot, but that wasn't that a real was, one. That, no. Yeah, that's just LGP being LGP. But <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's that's yeah, uh, that's what like we've just said. Uh, it's what you expect from him. So you know, right, right, right. I, I was to be honest, I wasn't even mad, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, basically, yeah, Brexit had to make a season high six saves here. Uh, yeah, I think probably it doesn't say, but a lot of them probably were in the second half, and so it's uh, yeah, we uh, we escape with uh, I think a point here. Uh, two points dropped, maybe not, not so much, uh, because there were chances for them for, for both halves that really could have been, uh, yeah, I think making this a lot worse. XG also favored Miami as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll take the point on the road and, um, you know, a Joseph Martinez goal, I think will lift some spirits as well. But, uh, yeah. Any final thoughts on this match? Uh, it's great to see Joseph score, and uh, you know, with now that the schedule a little bit back to normal, with having the full week off, um, hopefully this is the beginning of like you know seeing the old Joseph a little bit. Obviously, it's still a process, but um, that was the best. That's obviously the highlight of this match. Indeed, indeed, uh, and yep. Uh, up next, we will face CF Montreal, which we will preview later on. But let's get into the news, and yes. Uh, there's a big old bombshell that dropped uh, on uh, on Tuesday. It uh, was a Felipe Carner bomb, and uh, yeah, it was one of those uh, that very uh, seemed like a very just innocent Tuesday morning, and uh, 8 a.m. You know, bright and early. Wagoosh! It's uh, <laughs> you know a whole a whole ass uh, yeah article about. Uh, ton of stuff from the past and uh mm-hmm. yeah you best bet your ass we're gonna get through all of that <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. it's uh so much in it and um yeah kind of uh starting from somewhere well let's see uh for, he had pretty much 10 unnamed sources and darren eels speaking about uh kind of the front office and what has had what what had happened in the past uh, kind of the power struggles between uh, the technical director, Carlos Boca Negra, and any of our head coaches as well. And uh, I think Darren Eels did mention something that, yes, does need to be, I think, uh, reiterated from the, the off, is that the, uh, you know, the relationship between a technical director and a head coach uh, is always going to be a little bit, uh, you know, kind of fraught with tension a little bit. Maybe not fraught, but definitely will have some tension, and that's usually a good thing because you know a technical technical director is looking at the longer term of the club, and a head coach mm-hmm. is looking at the short term, trying to win every single match, fight for every minute, and you know that's uh, that's important as the context. But <laughs> there yes. are some uh, some real uh, interesting, uh, to say the least, things that uh, were uh, at least maybe kind of confirmed because a lot of people there's been whispers there's been rumors of this but uh to confirm it in an article is a whole nother thing and so massive kudos to cardenas for that 
but uh, yeah. One of the first things is uh, one of the unnamed sources saying, I'm 100% sure Carlos Bocanegra and Tata Martino's relationship is why Tata left. That is, uh, oh, oh, um, you know, yes. That's, you know, the outside uh, part of the story. It's not Carlos Bocanegra nor Tata Martino saying this, uh, of course. And so, you know, we are missing those voices, uh, you know, within this article for sure. Right. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, of course, Tata Martino, uh, I mean, in, in this article, it was saying that he could have possibly stayed if, uh, yeah, some of the, you know, power struggle things that were uh, done didn't happen. But, you know, essentially, uh, Tata Martino and Carlos Bocanegra weren't on speaking terms uh, pretty much in, the, I think, I believe the latter half of 2018. And, uh, yeah, there were some aspects of him wanting uh, Tata to sit Miguel Amiron after AC Milan put in an offer for him. Uh, So, you know, kind of trying to protect the player after uh, that injury that he suffered right before the playoffs, essentially. And, uh, yeah, obviously, Miguel Amiron played a large, large part in us uh, making a run in the playoffs and winning MLS Cup. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think Tata Martino was obviously right to play Miguel Amiron, and then he was able oh. to be sold by Newcastle, or to Newcastle. And so, uh, yeah. you know, there are some things that, in hindsight, you know, looks all well and fine. Uh, do you do you uh, agree with maybe Bocanegra saying that, you know, he maybe should have sat uh, Miguel Amiron or, you know, was that a little contentious to you? Like, what? Well, you know, let's answer that, and then let's kind of pull your biggest kind of uh, you know maybe gripes with what's uh, what's happened in this article. Sure. So, in terms of the uh, Miguel Amaron situation, so let's go back to 2018, right? Miguel Amaron missed final two, three matches of the regular season, um, and you know, so he was he was sat when he was injured, and uh, as Felipe pointed out in the article, he was medically clear to play. Um, now, also, remember, Tata played Miguel in the first half in, uh, in Yankee Stadium, that first playoff game, and then benched him for the second half. So it's not to say that uh, I don't think that Tata was irresponsible in how he handled Miguel. You know, I think he, I think, I, I think that's something that we talked about at the time, that he actually played that pretty well. Um, you know, especially getting the goal in the first half and then, you know, holding on the second half and so on. Um, and yeah, you know, like, I think in that relationship, right, between the technical director and the manager, there has to be respect both ways. And I think the technical director has to respect the manager's lineup choices. Um, you know, if it's, if it's one thing where he's like kind of uh, taking advantage of the player, then okay, fine. Like, obviously you step in, but that, that didn't appear to be the case uh, with Tata and, and Miguel. So, um, yeah, I think that's... Tata had a right to be annoyed with uh, with uh, Bocanegra for that request, especially given everything that had happened before, according to the article. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, before you get into your uh, your things uh, that uh, you know that stood out to you, I think it's that that power struggle that uh, was earlier alluded to. It's how Bocanegra. I mean, obviously, this is his first gig as a technical director. Tata Martino has been around the block. Uh, you know, kind of the tension comes from him being more of, uh, you know, less experienced than Tata Martino. Yes. And Tata Martino wanted to uh, kind of have a little bit more control of 
uh, the signings and you know who was targeted to come in. Which, uh, yeah, one of those big ones was, uh, in terms of someone like him, was a Marcelo Bielsa, who apparently was uh, interviewed, but was not called back. And uh, Bielsa was quoted as to basically say, yeah, uh, pretty much don't let, don't let them ever uh, contact me again. I mean, and that's massive, because Bielsa is... Uh, you know, one of the best coaches in the world and definitely in modern football. Uh, a lot of the, you know, the way that people like to play is patterned off of his style and so many yeah. in his tree are off of him. And to be able to get the godfather, essentially, right. of everybody like that. And <laughs> he was intrigued and he was wanting to. He reached out to want this gig. I mean, right. oh, God, that is... Uh, Probably one of the most damning things, I think, in this. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what were yours? So, all right, I'll touch on the Bielsa thing real quick. I understand, like, the hesitancy who wants total control, especially in a league where the rules are complicated and whatnot. But to not even have the respect to... Like, and uh, that's a great example of how not to. Wait, Mark, um, Mark uh, say that back because you cut out a little bit. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I just think uh, the way that situation was handled, specifically not calling Bielsa back, uh, I just felt like that was amateurish. You know, like there's there's a way to go about these things, and that's not it. You know, I mean, and the thing about Bielsa too is that he's influential. You know, so if uh, word gets out that uh, basically Atlanta United pissed off Bielsa, felt like he wasted his time and whatnot. That's gonna leave an impression on other people who are who like Bielsa, maybe are friends with Bielsa within the game of football. So, um, yeah, you know, like we don't know what kind of harm that could have done the club. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the relationship with Tata, like I understand that Bocanegra has responsibilities and duties as a technical uh, director. I don't understand why he has to sit in on every video session and and the practices as the article detailed you know how do you know that's just a classic example of micromanaging and i don't know about you i've dealt with managers who operate like that they tend to be the worst <laughs> for lack of a better term oh, you yes. know and, they, and you have a guy like tata right uh, as you said as, as you said who've been around the block very experienced having to answer to this guy who has essentially just retired right like Bogdanagra had no previous front office experience, and I think that needs to be emphasized. Because uh, I see a lot of people, not a lot, but I see some people already defending Bogdanagra, like, oh, you know, he's just made some mistakes. Uh, he'll learn. Listen, Atlanta United is not an internship opportunity, right? We want to be a big club. We want to be a force in global football. And actually, it seems like we've started to do that. But one of the key members of this front office apparently is not great at <clears throat> forming relationships or uh, getting back to people. I mean, like, okay, after Tata left, we apparently uh, Claudio Ranieri and Manuel Pellegrini were interested in the job. That's a big deal. You know, the fact that they would, you know, go out, let, I guess, the third party know that they would be, they would like to at least be interviewed for the job. 
and to get nothing back i you know i just that's so confusing that just yeah, doesn't very, make sense yeah very perplexing omissions to not and that's not just on carlos bocanegra that's on darren eels and the rest of the front office as well sure, to yeah. uh you know not give them the time of day to allow them to even you know be part of the conversation uh and also i mean let's be honest as well there's a lack of diversity in the uh you know kind of the interview candidates the lack of uh you know basically basically yeah you know what i'm saying there yeah. are not uh anyone besides argentine coaches slash uh yeah. you know guys from europe it's yeah there's a lot of uh you know i think demographics missing here that uh i think also should be addressed uh especially going forward there needs to be some uh transparency on like okay you know, afterwards, maybe some of the guys that we actually interviewed or something, I, mean, I, I, I can see how that might be a little touchy, but, you know, there needs to be a little bit of, uh, I think, placating a little bit of uh, this, I think. But uh, because if it continues in this kind of fashion where there's not uh, showing any of that, I think we're going to have some problems, I feel like. But, um, yeah. but anyway, yeah. Moving on into like some of the players that essentially were not, uh, you know, finessed in a sense by Carlos Bocanegra. Julian Gressel uh, kind of left in the dark, uh, and then uh, pretty much, uh, yeah, he's pretty much saying he wants to sign, uh, but obviously uh, this gets into a deep, deep rabbit hole about you know how much he could cost, uh, right. his positional uh, play in terms of where he actually fits in the team going forward. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think there at least should have been some, uh, some a little bit more of a, a better feeling probably than mm -hmm. what uh, maybe Gressel leaves with LGP as well, kind of just shuttled out the door quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have Duncan Nagby who sat out a, uh, you know, a preseason pretty much and then was begrudgingly, you know, integrated back into the team essentially. Um, right. And you know, and then he leaves. Uh, whether it was because of family, which might have been a factor, but I think the larger factor was that I think uh, you know there were rumors of this where he pretty much would have stayed if the contract was high enough. And I mean, that's obviously hearsay, but it's one of those like you know, uh, it's not just you know black and black and white. It's there's a lot of gray area here in terms of all this. Sure. Uh, you know, we want to be able to hear from Carlos Bocanegra at some point. Obviously, he's not going to probably anytime soon. Uh, mm -hmm. There is, you know, his contract does end in March 2022. Uh, maybe if he is not kept on, then, you know, maybe later down the line, three or four years, five years, maybe he talks about this, uh, you know, because let's also be real. You know, everyone who's part of LA United will eventually move on. It's not, uh, you know, and so right. these things will eventually come to light. I think, uh, you know, yeah. it's not, uh, it's not going to be secrets for long, especially with something that uh, uh, is pretty spicy. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, and so like, there's a lot of other things to unpack. Uh, was there an another thing that uh, kind of stood out to you? Oh, sure. I mean, like, like, I think the players, the common theme, you know, of the lack of communication, you know, like, even if you didn't want to retain Russell, you didn't think it was, uh, it was financially wise. I mean, you know, you remember how upset Russell was and 
basically more or less taking to media and saying, hey, I want to sign, I want to sign. So, uh, you know, you, I, you just wonder how Bocanegra went about that process. The Darlington-Nagby thing is so confusing to me. You traded for him. You basically rolled out the red carpet for him. I'm sure we all remember that video. Um, it was a plane with his mom and dad, or with his mom, rather, but... Yeah, and you know, it, it was a big deal across the league. You knew what his contract was, and like you, you should have known the quality of player you were getting. As I said on Twitter yesterday, the best American midfielder in the league, bar none, in my opinion. So, and like you don't make it a priority to to offer him a contract to get done. No, like I can understand why Darlington would feel a type of way, and then, you know, you see how. You know, maybe he was seeing some other things in the organization. Organization said, "You know what? I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna look to finish my career, my career elsewhere." And then Columbus obviously became an, an option for multiple reasons. Um, yeah, I think that one for me is the, I think the biggest axe to grind, because uh, you know, because I feel like even if all those other players have left, Tito, LGP, Gressel, if we had kept Darlington, last season wouldn't have been as big. Like a dumpster fire, you know what I mean? Like mm. it just, yeah. The connectivity I, between our uh, our lines, between our team, uh, mm -hmm. we, were, we we had a massive hole in our midfield essentially, and uh, yeah, I, I feel you absolutely, man. Uh, it's just that inability to prioritize. I feel like, like I just don't. Mm. It it really feels like somebody in their first gig, and uh, and so, something else I want to just uh, point out about the article real quick. You mentioned his contract ending next year. Um, Darren Eels did lend, you know, offer mm -hmm. comments to the to the comment with his name, right? And um, I wouldn't exactly say he defended Boca Negra. I think he more just contextualized the situation and said, you know, look, this is what it's like between a technical director and and a, and a manager sometimes. But it wasn't like an aggressive defense of Boca Negra like I expected. So you know, I don't know. At this point, like my feeling right now is that Boca Negra. Uh, will not renew his deal, and I wouldn't even be surprised if he announces a resignation or something like that this year. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't, I don't know, like, because then you can kind of get into now. This is out there. Now the fans know we're about to go to full capacity. What will be, you know, will there be any type of uh, response at the matches themselves? I, mm. it's. I don't know. You know. It's all in play right now for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know as uh, so far as that he's going to announce a resignation. I don't know if it's Boca out quite yet. I mean, obviously, we uh, have not replaced properly, really, uh, some of the players that we have moved on. And that much is clear. And that's why uh, there is uh, the 2020 year that looked like the way it did, especially uh, Frank DeBoer as well. Um, you know, and that, which, uh, you know, that's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, because like Darren Eels, he mentioned that uh, DeBoer, he was hired because, yeah, the front office realized that Atlanta's opponents had changed their defensive tactics in order to kind of thwart Martino's aggressive style of play, which, uh, yeah, okay, you know, there is that. that That's pretty damning on both of them, really, I think, a little bit, too. Sure. That, uh, you know, that they... It's not essentially that's not evolution. That's that's revolution. That's pretty much changing the exact way that uh, you thought you wanted to play uh, into a more pragmatic defensive style, and you know that explains why they brought in DeBoer uh, and they acknowledge you know 
I mean, previously that it is a massive mistake, and that's why they did bring in a Gabriel Hainsey. Uh, but you know, back to uh, Boca Negra, though. I mean, I know a lot of fans might be saying Boca out, but uh, I think mean, currently we still are, you know, integrating a new coach in. Uh, you know, we'll see how their relationship is and mm -hmm. how uh, maybe this summer transfer window they can work together. And uh, of course, some of the guys that were brought in uh, definitely was because of Hainsey. But, um, you know, I think there's going to be, I think the, the biggest evaluation period could be right after that transfer period is done and see how we really integrate any of the new guys and see how we play. I don't see maybe something being done in the middle of this year, but maybe mm -hmm. at the end of this year, definitely sure, before yeah. the transfer window opens up in the winter. But because, right. uh, I mean, yeah, you know, with uh, Paul McDonough coming back in, I mean, they have worked well together. I mean, that's clear. We have won trophies as Carlos Bogrenegger as the technical director. Like, he, that should not be discounted. Uh, he definitely has brought success to Atlanta. And so, uh, you know, Atlanta fans will absolutely always be grateful. But yeah. uh, it does seem like there is a little bit of undermining um, by, you know, no, like, probably... Uh, you know, on purpose or anything like that. It's not, it just seems like it's the way that his personality is and the way his uh, work style is to, uh, you know, finesse these kind of negotiations sometimes. That's kind of part of the job and it doesn't seem like, you know, that's his, maybe his forte. And if it's not, maybe get a chief negotiator. Maybe get another person that, you know, uh, negotiates with these players uh, to kind of make this a little bit better of a situation going forward because now this is all out in the open. Let's see how the club tries to rectify these known issues. Mm -hmm. And then if not, yeah, those Boca out, those maybe those other uh, you know uh, front office members might need to have some uh, hashtag out uh, attached to their name if uh, you know results continue to dwindle. But... So far, it's early returns. We're doing okay. So I don't think the uh, the Boca out really deserves much momentum at the moment. But, right. you know, that that's me. That's you. And uh, that's okay, you know. If uh, if you want to, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, get on social media and start hashtagging Boca out, I'm not going <laughs> to stop you. That's you, It's on your own volition. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, yeah, very, uh, very, very spicy article. Read it at The Athletic if you haven't. Uh, well worth the subscription. But anyway, uh, but moving on, I mean, uh, yeah, Tanner wrote an article on Dirty South Soccer that, uh, in February 2020 that pretty much outlined a lot of this stuff in terms of, uh, yeah, that FDB was not the only issue, that the front office should be in the firing line. And he got a bunch of shit for it. And, uh, you know, I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, people uh, should have given him that much shit because it's clear that if someone from the outside without inside sources is able to right. see this, which I think was a lot of fans as well, yeah, then, exactly. you know, you it's something that uh, needs to be now that it's out in the open fixed. Fix what uh, the fans are crying out for because... At the end of the day, 
These clubs belong to the fans. So, anyway, uh, let's move on to Lisandro Lopez. Uh, according to Cesar Luis Merlo, he is evaluating retirement. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, really sad to see because the death of his father uh, is probably no doubt hitting him hard at these uh, these times. And some of the outlets in Argentina uh, are saying that he might retire because of this. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think we definitely wish him the best uh, in any decision that he makes. And uh, if he does decide to retire, uh, it would be unfortunate, but, uh, you know, it's completely understandable. But, um, yeah, you have any thoughts? Um, I just, I wish him well either way. You know, I, you know, I I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what he's going through. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's, that's really unfortunate. Um, So, you know, I just, I'm just thinking about him and his family. At, at this point, honestly. Yeah, some things are bigger than soccer, and this is definitely yeah. much bigger than soccer. He needs all the time he needs to yeah, figure what he he wants to do. But, um, right. yeah. So moving on, uh, Gabriel Hainsey and Jim Curtin, uh, we talked a little bit about their uh, little squabble over, uh, you know, the press conferences in the past week. But, uh, yeah. He apparently didn't know that Jim Curtin called him a sore loser and an asshole. And uh, he said, quote, in a presser, I'm a person, if I need to tell somebody, or I need to tell something to somebody, I do it face to face. I don't need a journalist to send a message to somebody. I've won and lost a lot. I think Curtin doesn't know me. Now, obviously, that's a little ironic because he's doing this in a a press conference. (laughs) But uh, I think there were plenty of words said face to face. And uh, for, you know, that to have been uh, kind of, I think, exposed by Jim Curtin. Yeah, it was fun to uh, kind of see the back and forth of what they actually did say. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think Hainsey definitely uh, kind of has a little drop-the-mic moment here and uh, <laughs> basically, eh, more or less, more or less calls him a bitch. But uh, <laughs> what, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess, it's you know, it's Hainsey just kind of... Uh, getting the last word on it um you know it's it's like like you said it's all fun it's all fun to me um i did think it was cool that he uh actually congratulated him you know and yeah he also offered up a little bit of an apology in terms of uh not shaking his hand so you know a little bit of contrition for me too which i think is good to see but yeah. uh mm-hmm. you know i'm all i'm all for MLS coaches sniping at each other though more of it <laughs> Yeah, it definitely brings some more storylines uh, to the league and more entertainment, I suppose. But yeah, um, yes. Moving on from that, Santiago Sosa made the uh, Champions League Team of the Week. Uh, that was definitely well deserved. I mean, he was uh, yeah, he scored a goal. He was the rock in the middle. I mean, he yeah, he's uh, the man when uh, he uh, is not super tired and uh, has heavy legs, and that's uh, that's apparent. But uh, when you start eight matches in a row, yeah, yeah, like anyone is going to uh, start to suffer a little bit physically, but especially with midweek matches, yeah, yeah. But uh, moving on from that, uh, Miles Robinson he made the U.S. Men's National Team preliminary roster for the Concacaf Nations League semifinals, and uh, yeah, all uh, all we could say to that is obviously uh, don't have him run wind sprints, and uh, <laughs> it will be good. 
but uh and uh, i'm actually cool with this you know uh you know I, I, everyone was all uh oh he didn't play for u23 that's gonna block his career no it's not obviously not like if he's good enough to play for the national team he will get called up and i hope he does play it a little bit yeah no nah, nah, not every single match but uh yeah a little bit but uh right. and hopefully shows out and yeah ups his transfer value exactly all that but anyway yeah. um Joseph Martinez, uh, he talked about uh, finding meaning when not playing. And I thought this uh, this quote was, uh, boy, like perspective is super important. And uh, yeah, he said, quote, when you don't play, you're not a soccer player anymore. When you're a soccer player, you have everything in your hands. But when you're not playing, you're not scoring goals. You're not playing games. You're not on TV. You just become a normal person. I think sometimes people forget about that. And that was uh, in an article by ESPN. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. I mean, um, that time off, he, yeah, he was getting really maybe existential a little bit. And that's uh, good to see, I think. You know, it's, uh, you know, Joseph Martinez, uh, I think, you know, obviously, he was, he came back hungrier than ever. He also said after the goal that he has been dreaming of this moment, uh, you know, since he got injured. And so, uh, you know, this is one of those things... He's not going to lose the perspective of, uh, you know, being a very, very hungry striker. But he also has gained some, I think, life experience here that, uh, yeah, I think will suit him and the team really well going forward. But, um, yeah, yeah, speaking of Joseph Martinez, again, he influences everything. That's uh, obvious. Toronto's new DP, Jefferson Soteldo, or Soteldo, uh, he said, quote, I wanted to come to MLS to make history. Joseph is like my brother. I've seen the success he's had. I want that in Toronto. Uh, that's hat tip to Tom Bogert there. Uh, there's even some photos of uh, Soteldo uh, also playing for the Venezuelan national team and uh, his previous team uh, and him doing the kneel just like Joseph. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely one of those things where, you know, he, uh, he is a massive influence on very much, but... I am uh, low-key jealous of Toronto in this case. I know, yeah. Even though, uh, yeah, Soteldo, I think he's even shorter than the, uh, you know, than the ant. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's insane. <laughs> like, they somehow, uh, yeah, they keep getting shorter and shorter, but I think this is a very good player that they've gotten. And, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I think definitely uh, help them a, a lot, but... Uh, anyway, moving on from that, Miguel Miron and his wife filmed a commercial uh, for Tokyo PY, a uh, a dryer company, and uh, yeah, did it's a very very adorable commercial, and uh, it's uh, yeah shows Miggy doing his thing, and it's uh, just kind of uh, in my opinion, you know, Miggy uh, deserves all the uh, the sponsorships, so. Give him more. They did a great job, I think, uh, doing this, and uh, it was a lot of fun to watch, really. But uh, anyway, uh, you, you have any thoughts on that before we wrap up the news? Uh, I actually did not get a chance to see the commercial, so I don't have any thoughts. But uh, yeah, give my give Mickey all the endorsements. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, anyway, moving on to the match preview, and we will be playing CF Montreal this Saturday at the Benz at 7 p.m. And, uh, yeah, basically, uh, yeah, CF Montreal, they used to be the Montreal Impact if, uh, yeah, you weren't paying attention in the offseason. Uh, now they have changed it into, uh, yeah, Club de Foot. 
uh, did Montreal, and uh, that was my best, uh, I guess. Is that French? French accent. Yeah, a little French. Yeah. Say, Look, uh, it's Club de Foot uh, in Montreal. But uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yep, that's, uh, that's my French. But anyway, Thierry Henry, uh, he only lasted a season as their head coach. And uh, he has departed. And so Montreal not only get a new head coach, but a whole new rebrand. And uh, yeah, Wilfred Nancy is now their head coach. But uh, yeah. Last season, they pl- uh, they placed ninth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they made the, the playoffs, but were eliminated by the Revolution. And they made the CONCACAF Champions League, but were eliminated in the quarterfinals by Olympia. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, so they've had a, a decent season uh, last season in, in 2020. They... Uh, definitely have made a lot of reinforcements as well. Jordi Mihailovic, coming from the Chicago Fire, uh, yeah, has come in. He's kind of their number ten, kind of their left winger, and so he will be someone that can, uh, you know, bring some flexibility to their squad. Bjorn Johnson, a uh, striker, has come in six five. Uh, definitely will be a big presence in the middle up top for them. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a handful for our center backs for sure. And Kiki Struna, he's a uh, center back that, uh, yeah, they acquired through Houston Dynamo. But uh, they, of course, as well have lost some players. uh, And Boyan, who uh, that uh, former Barcelona wonder kid, uh, he, yeah, he left during the offseason Kind of a, a little bit of an underwhelming spell there in uh, Montreal, yeah. but it is what that is. Uh, Orgy Aquanquo, another guy that's, uh, yeah, named their 2019 team MVP, but uh, now he's uh, on loan. Uh, yeah, and now he's, yeah, on loan to Bologna. Uh, and so, or rather, I'm sorry, he's on loan to Regina in Italy's Serie B. And, uh, yeah. And also Juca Ratala, the uh, the previous club captain, and uh, their uh, kind of stalwart in defense. He was out of contract, and they didn't opt to sign him. So, uh, yeah, and the aforementioned Thierry Henry, who, yeah, uh, selfishly, I would have loved to see him still uh, coaching uh, here because also, yeah, I mean, them playing at the Benz finally, I mean, Thierry Henry is my all-time favorite player. And I would have loved to see a glimpse of him in person at the Benz, but no such luck. That is not going to be the case. And uh, I uh, I shed a tear because it's, uh, yeah, it's quite sad. But anyway, uh, into the series matchup between the two clubs. Uh, we have four wins. They have one win, and there's been one draw in the six matches between us. Twelve goals for us, six goals for them. Uh, and our last match against them was in 2019 of September, and that was a 1-1 draw. So definitely, uh, yeah, it's been a minute since we played Montreal for sure. But uh, yeah, getting into their current form, Montreal, uh, they had a uh, an undefeated start to their campaign until they played their uh, fellow Canadian team in the Whitecaps. And uh, they lost 2-0 there. And they will be playing on Wednesday, uh, trans- full transparency, the day we're filming this. Uh, and so, 
that they will be playing Inter Miami, so we will not have the result of that. But that does mean they play midweek, and so that might bode well when we face them on Saturday, because they might have a little bit of tired legs. Might be uh, a little bit of a good thing for sure, but uh, yeah, let's get into their uh, players to watch then, Mark. Let's uh, take that away. Yeah, so uh, at four, they have Romel Kyoto. Uh, he had a very good season last season. He was their leading scorer. Uh, he's played in the wing before, but uh, he was kind of a revelation at uh, center forward. He had eight goals, six assists. Uh, kind of reminds you of Joseph a little bit, who also started off as a winger. Uh, of course, talked about their big acquisition, Georgi Mihailovic from Chicago. I was actually surprised to see that trade. Uh, but uh, yes, he's in Montreal now. Um, and, you know, he's going to be a key presence for them in the middle. Uh, he's creative, uh, sort of a number 10. But uh, they'll certainly be leaning on him to uh, fashion chances and maybe even score himself. And of course, we have uh, Victor Waniyama, who spent a lot of time in Europe, uh, most notably uh, Tottenham, uh, your, your old pals. And uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know he's a defensive presence. Um, you know he's a rock. He has a decent passing range, and uh, yeah. So you kind of figure with uh, with those players, uh, Montreal has a strong spine, and so uh, they'll be kind of tough kind of tough to beat in that regard yeah and also uh so getting into our uh our key uh key guys and danger men who are they yeah so you know joseph of course uh he gets on the score sheets um and as i mentioned before he's got the week off uh so you know you'd figure he starts and hopefully uh he can give you give us a good uh 60 70 minutes hopefully he can score you know maybe a couple goals mm -hmm. uh santiago sosa you know it uh, wouldn't be an LA United lineup without Santiago Sosa at this point. Uh, at least he gets the full week off. So, so uh, but yeah, certainly expect him to start. And, you know, the presence in the middle, uh, you know, he's going to drop between the center backs. He's going to, uh, uh, you know, we know about his passing range and all that. And uh, Marcelino Moreno, you know, he he's he's a key player i think the returns on him so far this season have been a little disappointing um as we mentioned before in previous episodes he's moved around, he's been moved around a little bit as well but uh i think certainly if the team want uh, some success and i think some consistency and results we need other players to step up besides joseph and sosa and uh, Marcelino Moreno would certainly, I think, be one of those players that we need to lean on a little bit. So hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully he can make a contribution this weekend, assuming that he starts. Right. And so, uh, yeah, getting into the injuries and availability. Uh, so Montreal have four players out. Louis Binks, Mason Toy, Malu Tabla, and Zachary brault Uh And for us, uh, even longer list Ooh. than they do. <laughs> but uh, Barco and Don with hamstrings, Mochop Chol with uh, lower body injury. Uh, he might be a little bit maybe moved up to questionable as his uh, time frame, I think, is getting into this this uh, time frame but, uh, where he might be available. But Mo Adams uh, still out with that after hernia surgery. Alakan, sh shoulder injury. And then Mateus Osetu uh, probably being integrated uh, into the team probably more... Uh, Played with the twos until he can get that match fitness. And then, of course, Licha Lopez for personal reasons. But, uh, yeah, getting into the strengths and weaknesses of Montreal. Uh, basically, they have a lot of lot of experience in the middle and uh, in defense. But uh, it's probably where they're a little bit very dependent, probably, on maybe Wanyama. And uh, maybe he's, you know, as maybe their best player 
that uh, there's not a lot that they, uh, you know, I think all in all still can, I think, uh, hang their hat on as this is the way we're going to play. And, uh, yeah, so they might be a team that, uh, yeah, still might try to, uh, you know, possess the ball, but are they going to be kind of incisive and, you know, clinical in front of goal? We'll see. Uh, so far, it's, it hasn't exactly been that case for them, uh, much like us a little bit. So they'll have some uh, kind of similar styles in that, uh, you know, basically we'll be playing through the middle a lot. And so uh, and in terms of maybe trying to feed in the service from the wings, we'll see, uh, you know, who and which team is going to, uh, you know, maybe change it up and, you know, attack in different areas, in different spaces to exploit the weaknesses of the other team. But uh, yeah, that gets us to our predicted starting 11. And so let's get through them together. Uh, Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Yep, so of course, between the sticks, we have Guzan. I expect a back four of Lennon, Robinson, Alan Franco, I think, comes in for this one, and George Bello. Okay, yeah, for me, uh, I think Ronald Hernandez... Uh, or maybe uh, Jack Gurk and uh, you know maybe get a run out here. Uh, no idea why uh, Ronald Hernandez is not favored, uh, but hopefully he does get a run out here because uh, it seems like you know he is just down in the depth chart. But um, I think this would be a perfect match for him to uh, maybe get a start. But uh, if not, Lennon of course uh, would be that incumbent. Robinson walks and Bello, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, you keep that kind of uh, continuity going. Franco, yeah, he's going to have to work his way back into the team, it seems. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Alex DeJohn, uh, yeah, I'm not so sure that he should see uh, some time anytime soon after that uh, really, really poor free kick. But, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, uh, in the midfield, again, in midfield three, uh, of course, Sosa in the middle, uh, our rock. And flanking him, I have uh, Ibarra and Hyman. Ibarra doing box-to-box job. Hyman being sort of the tip of the diamond. Um, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully that can, um, you know, fashion some chances for us. Yeah. I have a little bit more attacking than you do. Uh, and which I, I understand why you put uh, Hyman there because, yes, uh, it's a little tease to what your forward line might look like. But... Uh, I think, yeah, Heinemann, Sosa, Moreno, same as last match a little bit. That, um, Yeah, it just brings a little bit more of an attacking impetus. And Moreno just, yeah, he needs to show kind of why he was a DP and uh, why he was brought in as such. But, uh, yeah, getting to that forward line then. Yeah, so for my forward line, I have uh, Moreno starting on the right. Uh, obviously, you know, we're dealing with some injuries with that. Uh, most notably Jurgen Dom. I think Moreni probably uh, should come off the bench for this one. Uh, Joseph, of course, in the middle, and I have Eric Lopez again starting on the left. Uh, you know, he's trying to work his way, I think, into the in, into into form as well. Hopefully, we can see some of that this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I also have Eric Lopez as well as Joseph, but I have Brooks Lennon as our right winger and. Uh, for me, I think, yeah, you know, he can bring that varied service. And he's been trying to uh, build that rapport with Joseph Martinez. I think what better way than to, you know, just kind of uh, take that handbrake off of him and just uh, have him play as a winger. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, you know, I, he's been very, very solid as he has been uh, last season as well. And, uh, you know, the service that he brings. And so uh, hopefully... You know, not just pullbacks, not just early crosses, just really bring the dynamic uh, service, and hopefully that would 
uh, kind of unlock their defense a lot quicker than uh, we have had in the past. Uh, you know, three matches before Jojo scored, but uh, that gets us perfectly into what we would like to see the team do in this match. And yes, if Joseph gets a chance, hopefully he puts it away like he, uh, you know, is apt to do. But uh, yeah, we also need to watch out for those uh, those shots from distance from Montreal. That's uh, mm -hmm. they are also apt to do. Uh, that's Braguzan. I feel like it definitely has that a little bit of a weakness in his game. But uh, yeah, also attack them one on one and try to beat them on the dribble. Uh, it is definitely uh, a tactic that has been effective against them. And so let's uh, you know definitely try to. Uh, Get our guys that can uh, dribble against them on the ball, like Moreno, like an Eric Lopez. But uh, yeah, uh, what about you? What, what's your, uh, you know, what, what would you like to see the team do? Uh, to add to this, I think being clinical is the biggest thing for sure. Um, I would also like to see the ball movement just be. Uh, a little quicker. I think we should be putting Montreal under pressure in this match. You know, we're at home. Montreal's coming off a midweek game. We're coming off a full week's rest. So I just, I would like to see energy from beginning to end. Really put the pressure on Montreal. And like a couple goals before halftime, I think, would be, I think that's what we need. Okay. All right. Uh, that would be lovely. But uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, let's get into the odds then. Uh, according to Bet365, it's a 58.1% chance for LA United to win. We are at home after all. Draw is at 25%, and for Montreal, it's 23.8% chance to win. Uh, and a quick note is that Montreal have conceded at least two goals in their last three away matches in MLS. So, uh, yeah, that also bodes well. So, getting into that score prediction then, what do you got? Uh, so... I We'll get the couple goals before halftime. <laughs> I'd like to see it, but uh, I think that we will prevail in this. I uh, have 2-1 for the score, you know, um, so maybe a little bit of a struggle, but I think that this is one where we should be coming away with three points for sure. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, it's a 2-1 scoreline for me as well. Uh, I think we'll uh, get a goal in each half, and uh, it won't maybe be as uh, a squeaky bum time. Maybe it's 1-1 at the half or something, and then we... Uh, have a better showing in the second half. As, you know, Gabriel Hainsey uh, has noted that there was a drop-off in levels. Maybe there is a uh, more of an onus for them to show that uh, they can play good football for two halves, collectively and consecutively. And that would be wonderful to see. Three points on the board for Atlanta United, and hopefully it's a happy weekend for all 17s. But... Anyway, that does it for the match preview and gets us into the question of the day. And the question of the day is, can the attack thrive without Ezekiel Barco and Jurgen Dom to help create? Uh, so far, we have not uh, really been gangbusters in front of goal without them two. So can we do it? We don't know how long we'll uh, be out with, you know, without them for a while. So... Uh, you know, we obviously think that uh, at least we can get two goals, so hopefully we do get that from the run of play to get that confidence. But uh, yeah, let us know in the comments below. And that's it for us today. Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. Share this episode and leave us a review and rating so we can pop up higher in your rankings. For Mark, I'm AJ. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah.